you know, I'm a little like antsy right now. I'm like giddy right now because, uh, you know, I didn't preach for like three months and I'm so excited to be in the house of the Lord. And I'm so excited to be sharing the word of God with you this morning. But more than that, I'm excited about where we are in this season and what God is doing and, and what God is preparing us for and, uh, and where we're going. Now, last Sunday, we talked about what it means to be a kingdom first Christian, what it means to be a kingdom first Christian. And what we actually discovered is that a kingdom first Christian is basically a disciple. That's the definition of what it means to be a disciple, a kingdom first Christian. A disciple is someone who simply resolved to follow Jesus with all of their heart and is willing to make sacrifices in order to honor that decision. That's what a disciple is. The definition of a disciple is not someone who comes to church every Sunday and sings all the songs well and knows how to lift their hand and, and you know, knows how to cry and doesn't drink, doesn't chew, and doesn't go with girls who do, you know. Like, like that's not the definition of a disciple. That's legalism. We can define discipleship in legalistic terms so that it's about the cessation of the following activities and the activation of another set of activities. And that's not the nature of discipleship. The nature of discipleship is simply I've made a decision. I'm going to follow Jesus wherever he goes. And I'm willing to make sacrifices in order to honor that resolve to follow Jesus. That is discipleship. And so last Sunday, we talked about being a kingdom-first Christian. Today, we're going to talk about what it means to be a kingdom-first community. Last Sunday, it was the individual. Today, it's corporate. It's our community. What does it mean for us as a church to be a kingdom-first community? And what we're going to discover today is that the worst kind of a community is a community that exists for itself. The worst kind of community is a community-first community. A community whose highest priority is itself. Its own survival. Its own blessing and increase. That is the worst kind of community. A community that exists for its own convenience is the worst kind of community. A community-first community is an idolatrous community. It is a community that worships itself. Now, if we are not to be a community-first community, we've got two choices. We can either exist for the world to make a difference in the lives of others, or we can exist for God. And the Bible is extremely clear about this. That we do not exist for ourselves, and we do not exist for the world. We exist for God. If we exist first and foremost for ourselves, we are idolaters. We're worshiping ourselves. If we exist first and foremost for the world, we have a Messiah complex. We see ourselves as the saviors. But if we exist first and foremost for God... We are a, co a company of worshipers. And once we learn how to live for God first as a community, then we learn to approach the world and each other through God's eyes by the power of his love and in his strength. And what we find is that the way we love one another and the world through God's love and his strength is so much greater than the way we could love the world or each other in our own strength. Kingdom-first community is the best 
kind of community. Can you say amen? amen? That amen is a good amen because once we get into this, I don't think you're going to like it. <laughs> Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to us today by the power of your word and spirit, that you'd give us understanding and clarity and put that resolve in our hearts today that we don't exist for ourselves, but we live for you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, our whole Kingdom First series is focused on uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, uh, in which Jesus says uh, a couple verses earlier in, in verse 31, he says to his disciples, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles are seeking. But you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. And so Jesus is telling his disciples, don't worry, but seek the kingdom. That's the clear message of, that's really the culmination of Matthew chapter 6. Don't worry, but seek the kingdom. Put the kingdom first. Seek first the kingdom of God. Now, a few verses earlier, I'm going to focus on actually Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 today. And in verse 24, Jesus says this, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, the first thing that I want to draw from this verse is the word can and cannot. Those two words in the Greek text are two versions of the same word. They both are drawn from the root word dunamis, which means power or strength. Dunamis is power, strength, or ability. Jesus is saying, you don't have the power to serve two masters. Try as you may, no one has the power to serve two masters. And then he ends by saying, you cannot, you don't have the power to serve God and mammon. If you try, you will fail. You can try, but you will not succeed because you don't have the power to serve two masters. In the end, if you try to serve two masters, you'll find yourself in a conflict of interest in which if you act in the best interest of one master, it will be at the expense of the other master. At, at some point, you're going to have to choose a master. At some point, you're going to have to determine, this is my master. Man cannot serve two masters. You can't. No one can. Okay? So let's establish that. It's impossible. The second thing I want us to understand from this verse is the meaning of the word mammon. Because the point of the verse is that if you try to serve God and mammon, you will fail. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now the word mammon actually is an Aramaic word and that Aramaic word mammon literally means possessions, riches, or substance. It has to do with everything that is valuable in your life. 
everything that you hold in value is your mammon. It's not just your material possessions. It's also your relationships. Whatever is valuable in your life, that's your mammon. It's your aspirations, your career, your achievements, your accomplishments, your future, your hopes and dreams, your relationships. It has to do with everything that you hold value, which means that it has to do with every component of your life that you use to fulfill your needs. Everything that pertains to the way in which you get your needs met is your mammon. Your physical needs, the food that you eat, that's a part of your mammon. The house that you live in, that's a part of your mammon. How you, how you satisfy your sexual needs, that's a part of your mammon. How you satisfy your relational and connective needs, that's a part of your mammon. How you satisfy your need and desire to define, to discover meaning and significance in your life, that's a part of your mammon. Your mammon is everything that pertains to your system of value. Now, the first thing I want to establish is that mammon is not evil. Matter of fact, there are some who teach that mammon is a demonic spirit. Mammon is not a demonic spirit. It simply is everything that you hold valuable in this life. Matter of fact, the Targums were Aramaic translations of the Hebrew Old Testament that transpired at the end of the first century. And in these Targums, they were, they were teaching the Old Testament and translating the Old Testament into, into Aramaic from Hebrew. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 9 says, honor the Lord with your mammon. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 9 says, honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruits of your increase. So shall your barns be filled with plenty and your vats burst with new, new wine. Honor the Lord with your mammon. Honor the Lord with your substance, with everything that pertains to the value that you place in this life. Also, in the Palestinian Targums of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, Deuteronomy 6, 5 says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your strength. In the, the Palestinian Targums in Aramaic, it says, you shall love the Lord with all of your heart and with all of your mind and all of your mammon. You will love the Lord with your mammon, meaning you shall place God above your mammon. It doesn't mean that your mammon is bad. It simply means that the kingdom is first. Now listen to what Jesus says. No one can serve two masters. I will, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will despise the one, or he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and your mammon. And when Jesus says you cannot serve God and mammon, he is actually talking about the two primary orientations that you can take to life. You can either live me first or you can live God first. You can either live for your mammon, for your possessions, just walking all up in the live stream, Nicole. That's just, you know, mammon right there. <laughs> in Emeryville, they just see Nicole. Just, just <laughs> all up in the way. You could have walked around that way. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody else be walking in the middle here. I <laughs> and we pay her too. <laughs> the two primary orientations for life are God first or me first. You cannot serve God 
and mammon. Now, I, I, want you to, I want you to get this. I want you to understand this. Now, now Jesus says, if you try to serve both masters, eventually you're going to have to hate one and love the other or be loyal to one and despise the other. Now, we get tripped up on that word hate. Jesus uses that word hate a lot. The first thing we need to understand is that Jesus, when Jesus uses the word hate, he's not talking about an emotional, intense dislike. He's not talking about like actually hating. We get tripped up like Luke 14, 26. Jesus says, if anyone desires to come, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus says, you want to be my disciple? Here's the prerequisite. Hate your mama and daddy. And there's some folks who are so bitter, they're like, I qualify. <laughs> you know, <laughs> hey, <laughs> I don't actually have to forgive. I just, <laughs> you know, this is what Jesus requires. But then he says, you got to hate your wife and children. I got to hate my wife and children? I don't think I want to follow Jesus. And then it says, you got to hate your brothers and sisters. And then he says, yes, and even his own life. You got to hate your own life. And if you don't hate in all of these categories, you can't be my disciple. He's not talking about an intense dislike, hatred as an intensive emotional state of dislike. When you hate something, you want to kill it. You want it, you desire that it should die. That's not what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about hate. He's using hate in terms of a displacement of loyalty. Remember, going all the way back to Jacob and Esau, God spoke and said, Jacob, I have loved Esau, I have hated. He wasn't talking about an intense dislike for Esau. He's simply saying, in choosing between the two, election falls on Jacob. When Jesus says you've got to hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and even your own life, what he's saying is, you must prioritize the kingdom of God above father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and even your own life. It means when you come to the point at which you must do what is in the best interest of one to the neglect of the other, you must always, always, always choose the kingdom of God. Now, Fleshing this out back in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. We got to break down that word serve. No one can serve two masters. If you're going to serve God, you can't serve your mammon, Jesus says. If you're going to serve God, you can't serve your father and mother. If you're going to serve God, you can't serve your wife and your children. If you're going to serve God, you can't serve your brothers and sisters. If I'm going to serve God, I can't serve the church. I serve God. Sounds scary, doesn't it? I mean, if that sounds good to you, like if you're excited about that, something's wrong. <laughs> it's like, I got it. <laughs> when I get home, my mom's going to be like, wash the dishes. I'm like, mm -mm, I don't serve you. I serve God. That's what I'm going to tell my wife at 11 p.m. when she says, can you give me a glass of water? Mm-mm, man can't serve two masters. Mm-mm, I serve the Lord. But the word serve here means something very particular. 
It doesn't mean to go get somebody a glass of water. In that sense, I can serve my wife. It doesn't mean to rub my daughter's back at night. In that sense, I can serve my daughter. It doesn't mean to sit down and talk to somebody when they're grieving or going through a difficult time. In that sense, I can serve the church. But the word serve in this passage literally means to slave. And the word master in this passage literally means lord or owner. What Jesus is saying is you might be able to serve two employers, but you can't be owned by two masters. I can get water for my wife, but I can't be owned by my wife. I can get food for my daughter, but I can't be owned by my daughter. I can provide resources to the church, but I can't be owned by the church. You can even follow your boss's instructions, but you can't be owned by your boss. We have to make sure that we have one owner, one Lord, one master, and that master is God. And that I serve many things, but I serve God first. And if I serve God first, then I serve everything else in obedience to God. That is, I serve God, and then I serve my wife. Why do I serve my wife? Because God sent me my wife and told me to serve her on his behalf. Which means I'm serving him by serving her. And why do I serve my daughter? Because God sent me my daughter and commanded me to serve her. So when I serve her, I'm actually serving him. And I serve the church because God sent me the church and commanded me to serve it. So when I serve the church, I'm actually serving him. You serve your job because God sent you your job and commanded you to serve it. So when you're serving your job, you're actually serving him. But at the end of the day, we don't get it twisted that the thing that we serve on God's behalf does not become the master that we serve or else we'll find ourselves in a place of divided loyalty. Man cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, in a general sense, I'm sure we can all acquiesce to this. Like, I'm still getting amens here because you you still haven't figured out what this actually means for your life. In the general sense, we call, yes, amen, God first, Jesus first, kingdom first, God or hallelujah, amen, oh yes, you know, give a few shandos and you know, cry a little bit, have the altar call, and we're great, we went home, kingdom first. But, but do you know what you just said? Do you know what you just said amen to? I mean, do you know what that actually means? Do you know what that actually looks like in real life? It's actually a highly inconvenient truth. A highly, and if you grasp, you can't actually submit to it until you grasp the sheer inconvenience of it. Now, I, I want to, what's going on? You need to move my mic. Sorry, Emeryville. In, in order to break down what this means, I want to read to you a passage of Scripture from the book of Numbers. This is kind of an extended passage of Scripture. But it's important that we read the whole passage. This is from Numbers chapter 9, verses 17 through 23. What we're looking at here in Numbers 9, 17 through 23 is Israel in the desert. So there was the community of Israel in the desert. And the question is, what 
drove the community in the desert? What led the community in the desert? What was the greatest priority for the community of Israel in the desert? It was the cloud of the glory of God. The cloud of the glory of God rested over the tabernacle or the tent, which is a typology of the church. It was their place of worship. And when the cloud of the glory of God moved, they had no committee meetings. They didn't stop and ask for a a congregational vote, whether they follow it or not. There was no talk about how inconvenient it was. They simply followed the cloud. I want to read this passage so that you can see how emphatic their decision to follow the, the cloud was. Numbers 9, 17 through 23. This is what it says. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, after that, the children of Israel would journey. And in the place where the cloud settled, there the children of Israel would pitch their tents. At the command of the Lord, the children of Israel would journey, and at the command of the Lord, they would camp. As long as the cloud stayed above the tabernacle, they remained encamped. Even when the cloud continued long, many days above the tabernacle, the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not journey. So it was, when the cloud was above the tabernacle a few days, according to the command of the Lord, they would remain encamped. And according to the command of the Lord, they would journey. So it was when the cloud remained only from evening until morning. When the cloud was taken up in the morning, then they would journey, whether by day or by night. Whenever the cloud was taken up, they would journey. Whether it was two days, a month, or a year that the cloud remained above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would remain encamped and not journey. But when it was taken up, they would journey. At the command of the Lord, they remained encamped. And at the command of the Lord, they journeyed. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord and the hand of Moses and by the hand of Moses. Do do, do you see like the, this is like, okay, you said it. This is redundant. This is the most redundant. Like we needed an editor to go in there and say, just cut out half, like cut out three fourths of this. You said it once. He's like, when the cloud moved, the people of Israel moved. When the cloud stopped, the people of Israel stopped. Whenever the cloud moved, they moved. Whenever the cloud stopped, they stopped. If the cloud moved in the morning, they moved in the morning. If the cloud moved at night, they moved at night. If the cloud stopped in the middle of the night, they stopped in the middle of the night. If the cloud started five minutes after the cloud stopped, they started with the cloud. Whenever the cloud moved, they moved. If the cloud didn't move, they moved. If the cloud stayed there for a year, they stayed there for a year. If the cloud moved every five minutes, they moved every five minutes. I mean, it was like, for, for, I mean, you said it, but do you see the purpose of this redundance in this passage? We want to make it extremely clear. This is crazy. I mean, just you get this. This is crazy. They did this for 40 years. For 40 years, the community of Israel was a cloud-first community. And here's the crazy part about it. That made zero sense. Because they could have marched through that desert in 40 days and been out the other side. Instead, they followed a cloud around a desert for 40 years. It made zero sense. It seemed completely arbitrary and random. Now, it seems like 10 years in, they should have had a rebellion. Somebody cries, what is going on? We've been following this cloud for 10 years and it's gotten us nowhere. It's taking us in circles. Look at this map. I've mapped our journey through this desert and we've just gone nowhere. And now the clouds moving us again is taking us to another nowhere. It's just going to stop over there. We were just over there. 
for God's sake. The leadership of this church has no wisdom. Just following this random cloud. You think you hear from God? This can't be God. We're not getting anywhere. We're not making any progress. We're going in circles. Look, I've got wisdom. We got a group of people with wisdom here. If we look at the map, we're trying to get here. Let's go in a straight line. We'll be there in the next 40 days. You know, there was a lot of failure in Israel at that time, but one thing you can say for the community, one thing you can say for that community, one place where they did not slip, where they did not stumble, where they did not doubt, where they did not question God, was they followed the cloud. For 40 years, they followed the cloud. When it didn't make sense, they followed the cloud. When it was inconvenient, they, I, I, want you to, I want you to get a hold of what this means. We just read it. It said, whether by day or by night, when the cloud moved, they moved. Do you know what that means? In the middle of the night, you just hit that deep sleep. After a long day of work, your kids were crying and you finally got them to sleep. And as soon as you laid down to sleep, somebody burst in your room. Dude, get up. Why? What's going on? The cloud's moving. We got to go. Oh, come on. The cloud's moving. It's three o'clock in the morning. God, can't you wait till morning? No, man, the cloud's moving. We got to go right now. The cloud's moving. And everybody got up and everybody picked up their tent and the priest picked up the house of God and they moved and they start following the crowd at three o'clock in the morning. Where are we going? I don't know. The cloud's moving. We're following the cloud. We're going with the cloud. Where the cloud goes, that's where we're going. How long are we going to be walking? I don't know. As long as the cloud's moving, we're going to be walking at three o'clock in the morning. And then the cloud would stop. Can you imagine? I, I, I mean, I, I want you to get this. Can you imagine this? You're in high school. It's SAT time. And you're in the middle of the SAT. Right in the middle of the SAT, and you're thinking, I'm killing this thing. I'm getting a perfect score. And all of a sudden, somebody bursts in. We got to go. The cloud is moving. Pack it up. They're, Come on, I'm taking the SAT. So Too bad. The cloud's moving. They pack it up, and you got to go. Why? Because the cloud's moving. Imagine this. Imagine this. The NBA, NBA championship game is going on. The Warriors versus whoever wins on that side. 2020 NBA championship. And in the middle of the fourth quarter of game seven, which is going to decide the winner of the NBA championship, somebody bursts in and says, shut it down. The cloud's moving. Oh, come on. There's only three minutes to go in this game. Doesn't matter. The cloud is moving. The cloud always takes priority. The cloud's moving. It's inconvenient, I know, but the cloud's moving. It doesn't make logistical sense, I know, but the cloud is moving. It's painful, I know, but the cloud is moving. I'm going to lose money, I know, but the cloud is moving. Even crazier, you're making love to your wife. Those of you who are married. Somebody break, burst in. The cloud is moving. We got to go, oh, come on. I, I'm sorry, but I need you to see what an inconvenient truth this is. You see, all of us tend to say amen to stuff like kingdom first. We follow the cloud until the cloud moves in the middle of your mammon. Until the cloud moves and disrupts something that you hold dear. 
until the kingdom of God demands a change that is inconvenient, that is ill-timed, that is illogical, that doesn't make logistic sense. If we're going to live kingdom first, we must embrace the fact that that means that there will be some inconvenient moments. Some moments that don't seem to make sense to us. Being a kingdom first community is the most counterintuitive form of community there is. And a lot of people can't handle it. Because it affects the way decisions are made. As a pastor, I face the temptation to be community first in my orientation all the time. To put your needs above God's desires, above God's command. But I'm also faced with the reality that if I put your needs above God's commands, I'm actually accusing God of not caring about you very much. What I'm actually telling God is, you don't know what they need, I know what they need. So I'm going to take care of them. You go somewhere with your commands. It's a temptation for me as a husband to be family first. And my wife's going to talk about that here at Soda next week. To put my family ahead of God. But what we find is that even though it's counterintuitive, and even though it doesn't make sense, and even though it's illogical at times, and even though it's highly inconvenient, at the end of the day, to be kingdom first is the best way to love the community. That is, a kingdom first community is the most loving community you could ever imagine. Because a kingdom first community is actually what it means to be a covenant community. You see, when we say we're a covenant community, sometimes we mean the wrong thing. Sometimes we mean that we're a community that's in covenant with one another. That's wrong. Meaning, we're a covenant community. That means I got your back, you got my back. That means I got your best interest in mind, you got my best interest in mind. That means I'm going to be there for you, you're going to be there for me. You can get that at the boys club. You can get that on the golf course. You can join a fraternity and get that in college. You can get that at a law firm sometime. You can get that at a secular job. You can get that kind of community anywhere. That's just human community. Our covenant is first and foremost with God. A covenant community in the biblical sense is a community of individuals who have covenanted first with God and made a covenant to put God first in all things. And then number two, have joined together to encourage one another to live out that vision. Which means, if I ever put you before God, you have an obligation to call me out. You have an obligation to hold me accountable to what God said, not to what you need. You have an obligation to call me out and say, PB, hold on a second. I know you're trying to love this community, but didn't God tell you this? So then why are you acquiescing and belittling the command of the Lord simply because you care about people? You think God doesn't care about those people? PB, go back to your place and put God ahead of this community. It's the only way you can love us and lead us. And if you ever put me before God, I have the obligation to call you out on it. And say, hey, I'm so glad that you honor me, and that's nice, and that's cool, and you respect me, and that's everything that's wonderful. But don't get it twisted. You're here to follow Jesus, not to follow me. 
And that is the only way we can actually experience. And by the way, that's one another as well. Discipleship in a community is when we each give each other permission to hold us accountable to our decision to live kingdom first. Counterintuitive, isn't it? So paradoxical. Paradoxical. Later in the book of Matthew, in chapter 16, verse 26, Jesus says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and come and follow me. For whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he will find it. And then he says this, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? You hear what Jesus is saying there? He says, if you desire to come after me, deny yourself. That is, deny your mammon. Take up your cross. And come and follow me. For if you seek to save your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. What does it mean to seek to save your life? It means for a season to deprioritize the kingdom because you're afraid that you're going to lose something that you count valuable in the world. If you deprioritize the kingdom for money, you think, I've got to take this opportunity. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and a life opportunity of a lifetime must be grasped in the lifetime of the opportunity. This opportunity is going to pass me by. I don't know if another one like it is going to come. But a kingdom first life says, God, is this a God opportunity? Or is this the flesh? And knowing this is not God's plan for my life, but I've got to deprioritize obedience to God in order to get my money. You know what happens when you deprioritize the kingdom in order to get money? Is number one, you miss the money that God had in store for you. And number two, you get the money that God didn't want you to have. You end up missing the money that God wanted you to have. And you end up getting the money that God doesn't want you to have. And when you get the money that God doesn't want you to have, it destroys you. If you deprioritize the kingdom because you're lonely and you want a relationship. And I've seen this happen so much. You deprioritize the kingdom. Because you're lonely and you want a relationship. You know what happens? You end up missing the man or woman that God wants you to have. And finding the man or, God, or woman that God doesn't want you to have. Hmm? Oh, that's scary, isn't it? That is scary. That is, if you put anything above the kingdom, even for a moment, and sometimes we temporarily deprioritize the kingdom. Just, Lord, just let me do this thing. I'll be back. Let me just handle my business here for a minute. I'll be back. I just, I just need this one night, Lord. Just this one hookup. I'll be back. Just one hit. I'll be back. Just kidding. Just let me take this job, Lord. I'll be back. Just, 
just let me let me go on this trip, Lord. I'll be back. Just just let me have this moment. I'll be back. I'm not turning away from you. This is just a hiatus. I know this isn't your will. I know this isn't your timing, but I need this, God. I need this. And when you deprioritize the kingdom, you're accusing the Father of not knowing what you need and not having what you need and not being the source of what you need. And the whole point of this passage here in Matthew chapter 6 is that your Father in heaven knows what you have need of before you ask. And Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you as well. Meaning God does not despise your mammons. You can get it in your head that God doesn't care about you, and he doesn't care about your happiness, and he doesn't care about your blessing, and he doesn't care about your job, and he doesn't care about your family. He doesn't care about your relational needs. And, and all of that is a demonic accusation against God. Jesus says, all these things will be added to you as well. Meaning in the Father's time and in the Father's way, if you prioritize the kingdom and put the kingdom of God above all of these things, God will not leave you in the lurch. Putting the kingdom first is not the means by which God extracts resources from you and then leaves you empty. It is the means by which God qualifies you for greater blessing than you ever could have acquired for yourself. It's counterintuitive. If you want to live, you got to die. If you want to receive, you got to give. If you want to lead, you got to submit. It's counterintuitive. Kingdom first. Not community first. Not survival first. One of my nephews uh, moved down to San Diego recently, and he texted me a few weeks ago, and he said, I'm looking for a church, and I've visited a bunch of churches in the area, but I can't seem to find a church that I feel comfortable in. And I responded to him and I said, excuse my French, but F your comfort. I mean, I didn't actually say the F word. I just wrote the letter F. <laughs> I actually wrote E-F-F, you know, E-F-F-F, you know. See what I did there? I said, excuse my French, but forget your comfort. Forget about your comfort. Comfort first is community first. Do you hear what he's saying? I'm looking for a community that I feel comfortable in. That's my priority. I hear it all the time. I'm trying to decide what church to go to, but I'm not sure where I'm experiencing the most community. I'm looking for a place where I feel community. That's my number one priority is com that's community first. No, I said, forget your comfort. That's not the question. The question is, God, what church do you want me to be a part of? Forget how I, I heard some, somebody was talking to somebody. I said, where are you going to church? I said, well, I'm trying to decide. I, I really like the graphics of this church better. And I really like the worship of this church better. I really like the media at this church better. And, you know, the aesthetics of the room. I like this vibe. But, but I kind of said, forget the aesthetics. Forget the media. Forget the reason. Listen, it could be the will of God for you to go be a part of a little ghetto church in a storefront in East Oakland with no facilities and, and, and maybe even no electricity. It could be God's will for your life to go to the other side of the world and become a part of a church in the jungle that has no aesthetics whatsoever. It's not about the aesthetics. It's about the kingdom. God, what church do you want me to be a part of? 
where do you want me to be? And I told him, I said, you find a church with a compelling mission that stirs your soul, and then you offer that church your sword. And when I said that to him, I was thinking of the Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring. How did the Fellowship of the Ring, you remember at the Council of Elrond, there at the end of that, that first, the Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, and they were talking about, they, discuss, they determined that this is the mission. The ring must be destroyed. Number two, who can destroy it? Nobody in the room can destroy it. Why? Because if any of the powerful people picked it up, they would be overwhelmed by temptation to become even more powerful and great, and they would actually use it instead of taking it to Mount Mordor and destroying it. And they determined that only Frodo Baggins could fulfill this mission. And when Frodo stepped up and said, I'll take the ring, when he embraced his mission, Aragon drew his sword and said, then you'll have my sword and I'll protect you with my life. And then Gimli took his axe and said, and you'll have my axe. And then uh, 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 Legolas took his bow and said, you'll have my bow. And then Gandalf took his staff and said, you'll have my staff. And then the other two little midgets came out and said, we're going with you. <laughs> sorry. Hobbits, sorry. <laughs> and what was born there, listen to me, what was born there in that moment was community. That's why they called it the fellowship of the ring. The fellowship that was created by the ring. That is the fellowship that transpired around the mission. It was a kingdom first fellowship. That is, this has to happen for the kingdom and I'm committed to the kingdom and this is what the kingdom requires. And this is what was crazy. They didn't even like each other. They didn't even like each other. Gimli and, and Legolas, the dwarf, and the elf, dwarves and elves hated each other. But they're right next to each other in community. Why? Because the mission is bigger than my social calendar. It's bigger than who I like. It's bigger than the kind of people I want to be around. It's bigger than the ethnicity of the people in the room. It's bigger than the aesthetics and the resources. It's bigger than the media because it's about the kingdom. And here's what's crazy. When they made this kingdom first commitment to community, where each one of them was not just there, a butt in the seat. You know, I'll, okay, I think I'll hang out here. Yeah, that looks cool. I think I'll just keep coming. Yeah. Hey, it's kind of cool over here. I'll just, you know, you don't join that kind of a mission with that kind of an attitude. Yeah, we'll go along too. <laughs> not offering my sword, but, you know, I'll just kind of. Can you imagine if they were being attacked by orcs? And one guy had not actually committed to the mission, so he's just kind of standing there watching them fight orcs. <laughs> he's like, oh, hope you guys are okay. <laughs> I'm just going to hide over here behind this tree. <laughs> you know why it worked? Because everyone was on board. Everyone offered their sword. And here's what's crazy. Going to part three, the last battle. At the last battle where it looked as if they would surely be vanquished by the enemy and die. Gimli and Legolas, the elf and the dwarf who hated one another, they stand side by side on the battlefield. And Gimli says, never thought I would die standing next to an elf before. And Legolas says, how about next to a friend? What they found 
was a greater connection and fellowship and expression of community with one another than they ever could have found by rallying around mutual interest, by rallying around the same ethnicity, by rallying around being in the same generation, all of us being tech workers, all of us being artists, by creating community out of self-interest, they found a greater sense of community. Legolas thought that his deepest bonds were with his elfin people. Gimli thought his deepest bonds were with his dwarf people. But what they found on the battlefield standing next to each other is that they had a bond with one another that was deeper than any bond that they could have had. Why? Because they put something else above their community. A kingdom mission that was a must. And if we are to be a kingdom first community, we must rally around a kingdom mission that is a must. Until we discover that kingdom mission that is a must and offer our swords to it, we actually have not even joined the community. You say, I don't experience community here. Of course your sword is still in its sheath. You haven't offered your sword to the mission yet. Of course you're not experiencing community. If we're not fighting on the battlefield together, I feel left out and disconnected. Well, yeah, you haven't shown up to the war. It's, it's like, you know, they go out to battle, they come back, and then one of their comrades says, I'm homesick, and nobody checked on me. It's like, you haven't shown up to battle even once. How do we know you're sick? We're out on the battlefield getting our arms and legs chopped off. We're tending to those who are falling in battle. Kingdom first community is about a kingdom mission. And what's the kingdom mission? The kingdom mission is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The kingdom commission is Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Jesus says to his disciples, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all things that I have commanded you. And then he says this, and behold, truly, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. And this is the great truth as somebody comes to a keyboard or a guitar or something. This is the great truth. That if you put the kingdom first, you're actually putting the presence first. It has been said that those who put everything in God's hand will eventually see God's hand in everything. The truth is this, that if you put the kingdom first, if you put everything in the kingdom, you'll see the kingdom in everything. If you put your family in God's hand, you'll see God's hand in your family. If you put your finances in God's hand, you'll see God's hand in your finances. And if we submit this community to the kingdom, we will see the kingdom in this community. And if we want the presence of God, what we believe here more than anything else here at Living Hope Christian Center is that there is no brokenness that cannot be mended in God's presence. But if we want the presence of God to be manifested among us, we must be a kingdom first community.
Because if we are kingdom first community, we prioritize the presence. We follow the cloud. Even when it's inconvenient. Going to the retreat for some of you might be inconvenient. But I'm telling you, the cloud is going there. Are you going to follow the cloud? It might be a logistical nightmare for you, but are you following the cloud? Joining a small group, a community group, might be inconvenient for you, but that's where the cloud is going. Serving a ministry might be inconvenient for you. Even coming to Sunday morning service for some of you might be inconvenient for you, but that's where the cloud is going. The question is, do you prioritize your comfort or do you prioritize the kingdom of God? Where is the cloud going? This morning, we have an opportunity to submit ourselves afresh and anew to the kingdom of God. We have an opportunity to make a decision that we will not place our convenience above God's kingdom. That if the cloud moves in the middle of the night, we're moving with the cloud. That if the cloud moves in a direction that costs us, we're willing to pay the price. That we will not put our survival above the cloud. Even the church itself exists for the kingdom, not the other way around. The church is a resource in the hand of the kingdom. We tend to treat the kingdom as if it's a resource in the hand of the church. What does the church need? Let's grab, reach into the kingdom and pull down the resource we need. No, 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 no. It's the opposite. What does the kingdom need? Let God reach into the church and pull the resources he needs and even our own lives. And this is the key. A kingdom first community is the best kind of community. Just as a kingdom first life is the best kind of life. But it takes practice. It takes practice. We're going to have to learn to live this way. This sermon series that I'm preaching over the next few weeks is going to set us up for our 2020 vision. The 2020 vision that the Lord gave me for Living Hope comes out of Genesis chapter 28. When Jacob goes to sleep in the desert, He's on a rock, and in his dream, he sees a stairway from heaven down to earth. And there's angels ascending and descending. And God is at the top, and God gives him this promise that I won't leave you till I fulfill my purpose for your life. And then Jacob wakes up in the middle of the night, in the middle of the desert, a place that he thought was the most inconvenient place he could ever be. No pillow, no blanket, just a rock. And he says... How awesome is this place? Surely the Lord was in this place, but I did not know it. The interesting thing is when you find yourself in the inconvenient place, it only feels inconvenient until you discover the presence of God there. And when you discover God in that place, it's no longer an inconvenient place. Say, surely God is in this place, and I didn't know it. And then Jacob says, this is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. And this is the word God gave me for 2020. He said, you as a church, you've learned how to be the house of God. Now you're going to learn how to be the gate of heaven. The vision for 2020 is gate of heaven. As the house of God, we've learned how to gather and worship. As the house of God, we've learned how to hear and repent and believe. 
As the house of God, we've learned how to commune with one another, but now we're going to learn how to be the gate of heaven. And that means we're going to open the gate over the cities in which we gather, and we're going to see the resources of heaven reach those cities, and we're going to see transformation in local governments, and we're going to see transformation in the education system and in in housing and in the poor, and we're going to see justice come wherever we go. But first, we must learn how to be kingdom first. This series sets us up for the Abba Conference. We learn to be kingdom first, and then we discover at the Abba Retreat, Lineage Retreat, our purpose, our identity, our nature, and your personal mission. And now we are ready to run at the 2020 vision. Now we are ready to see a harvest of souls come into the kingdom of God. Now we're ready to draw our sword and lay it down at the feet of the kingdom mission and say, let's go. I'm ready to run. We've only got five more weeks to prepare our hearts and minds. The cloud is moving away from your mammon. Doesn't mean God doesn't care about it. Simply means that the best way to love your mammon is to love God first and to love God with all of your mammon. Bow your heads, let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, I speak your blessing over this house of yours and over this people of yours that you've called by your name. Lord, I thank you for those who are gathered in this place today, whether they are on the Emeryville campus or in the SF campus, whether they've known you and walked with you for a long time, whether they've just only met you and begun to walk with you, or whether they have yet to surrender their lives to you. Wherever each and every one of us are at this moment, I thank you, number one, that you love us all the same. But I also thank you that you're calling each and every one of us to surrender afresh and anew, to surrender our mammon for the kingdom. And you're doing so not because you don't care about us, but because you care so deeply there are resources that you desire to give us blessings that you desire to pour out in our lives that you can't pour out until we make the decision to live kingdom first Holy Spirit I pray that you would rest upon every heart right now under the sound of my voice on both campuses if you're listening and the Spirit of God is touching your heart you have not yet surrendered your life to Jesus Christ Or you did surrender your life to Jesus Christ, but you walked away from him. You say, I'm ready. I'm ready to come back in. I'm ready to surrender. I'm ready to take that first step. It starts with the decision, and then you become a disciple. The decision is simply the first step of the journey. Discipleship is every step that comes after it. And all a disciple is, is one who has made a decision to follow Jesus and is willing to make sacrifices for that decision. It's not about being perfect. It's about a resolve, a decision. You say, I'm ready to make that decision today. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm ready to begin my journey with Christ. If that's you, nobody's looking around. I just want you to lift your hand and just look me in the eye just for a moment, if you can do that. 
I see you. Mm. That's powerful. I see you. I see you. That's powerful. I see you. You know what's even better? God sees you. Even that little gesture of just looking up and opening your eyes, God sees you. And God is pleased. God is pleased. God is pleased. That was so powerful. That was so powerful. Just a simple decision. That starts the journey. Just a simple, this one step. That starts the journey. Now I want every one of us to pray this prayer with me. Every one of us on both sides of the bay. Just repeat this prayer after me. Say, Father, I come to you in the name of your son, Jesus. I surrender my life. All of my mammon. I surrender it to you. I want to know you. I want to serve you and put your kingdom above everything. I pray today that you would forgive me of all of my sins, that you would wash me of all of my unrighteousness, and that you would teach me from this day forward to walk with you. Thank you that you love me. Teach me to love you too. In Jesus' name.